Welcome to Ask a Lawyer with me, Steve Sleeper. Our guest today is DUI defense attorney Leslie Boykin with the law office of Leslie Boykin in Austin, Texas. Attorney Boykin carefully and thoroughly prepares each case for the defense, no matter how serious the charges. I began the interview by asking Leslie about herself and her firm. I love practicing criminal defense in Austin, Texas and surrounding areas. I have been a solo practitioner here for about 19 years. Getting excited that I'm coming up on on my double decade. (laughs) But I came from a very small town in East Texas. I was an athlete in all through school because there wasn't really much else to do except go to school and play sports when your parents worked like mine did. Right. And I uh, unfortunately saw a lot of what I consider to be unfairness and injustice, both in the school system as well as our in our community. And, um, you know, I, that's where the fire was lit, I guess, when I was a young teenager to stand up for the underdog and, and defend people who are being picked on. And the way I see my job is, um, yes, over 90% of um, people charged with crimes, I think nationwide statistics, you know, are guilty of something, if not what they're accused of, then something, you know, contained within that or a lesser charge, as we call it. But um, everybody makes mistakes. Most of these mistakes are stupid and not meant to harm people. Uh, Violent crime is a a minority of my practice, but um, I do handle some cases like that. But mainly people just need to be shown a different direction. And so I try to lift my clients up, show them there's a better way and um, even help them get connected to social services. Um, and, you know, they, people need that, that wraparound treatment a lot of the times to be able to change direction in their life. So it's very rewarding for me to not only defend them legally, but also to, to be a counselor at law. How, how much of your practice is DWI defense? Well, about 80 to 90 percent of the private cases that I am referred um, are usually organic referrals. Uh, I co-founded, booked and promoted a blues band called Trent Turner and the Moon Towers when I was in law school and for a few years after. And that connected me with club owners and musicians and Austin's a big town for that. So um, being here for almost 20 years now and and keeping up with that crowd, I get a lot of my clients from that arena. And then also working in restaurants. I did that all through school. And I, I, you know, make friends with restaurant owners because I love to eat out. And, you know, (laughs) they send me their clients. So almost all of my private cases are DWI cases. And those are the cases that I enjoy trying the most what should a person expect from a good dwi defense lawyer well i think that a good dwi defense lawyer has to have a a really fine attention to detail there are you know seconds that can make a difference there are sways and waivers in a person's posture that are in inches and so you have to pay very close attention to the video and and the audio that is contained in the video 
But also, I think it's very important to understand science, mainly chemistry, because of all the testing that we have nowadays, not so much when I first started, but, you know, in Austin, um, almost everybody's blood gets tested. Uh, but medical factors should come into play as well as mental health factors. So the fact that I've, you know, represented people with mental um, disabilities and illnesses for my entire career um, the fact that I'm the daughter of a pharmacist and grew up working in a pharmacy and have some of his genetic chemistry knowledge, I think all of those things help me to be a great DWI attorney, as well as the attention to detail. <laughs> to my knowledge, it's a little unusual around the country uh, uh, to, to to do the, the the blood testing like that. Does Does that uh, mitigate any procedural mistakes that cops make? Travis County, Williamson County to the north, Hayes County to the south. Uh, those are the counties I practice in. And if a prosecutor has a number that's over 0.08, which is our legal limit here in Texas, and especially if it's 0. 0.150 or higher, then it gets bumped up to a class A misdemeanor, even if it's a DWF first, they hang on to those numbers like they're gold. Mm -hmm. They do not really look into the process of the testing uh, until the case goes to trial. So there may be problems. There's 30 points of human error that can occur within a, the blood testing process from the time the tourniquet is put on the arm to draw the blood all the way through the end of the testing process. So a lot of times if we dig dig deep, we can find some errors, which in chemistry should be big errors, but sometimes jurors, you know, if you don't get a jury that has a, a scientist on it <laughs> or people that really understand lab testing and things like that, they don't see it as a big deal. So jury selection is important to recognize the faults that can occur in blood testing. A friend of mine from law school, Mark Thiessen, he came up with the phrase, the disconnect defense. And so there's cases where the blood is really high, the video looks great, and so we can often win those cases by talking to the jury about how if they have this number and, and they should be disintoxicated, why do they look so good? As far as the officers making mistakes during the field sobriety test on a, a case like that, in that scenario, I wouldn't care because I want to you know, build up that my client looks great on the video, no matter what the officer's doing. Clients walking straight, standing straight, talking straight. Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't say that, that it mitigates their mistakes. I okay. mean, mm -hmm. we definitely want to point out their mistakes. Many times, I would say more often than not, an officer does not do the field sobriety, all three of the field sobriety tests correctly, doesn't administer them correctly. And the one that's most often incorrectly administered, I would say, is the the HGN, the horizontal gaze nystagmus eye test. Right, right. So with the DUI, what happens after a person's arrested? So with Austin Police Department, it is their policy to always ask the person at the scene, the arrestee, to blow into a portable breathalyzer. To me, the only reason they do that is to 
prejudice the case against the arrestee to prejudice the the prosecutor to create bias in the prosecutor's mind because they cannot enter that number. The portable breathalyzer or PBT, portable breath test, is not allowed to be entered as evidence at trial. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's case law. So they can't use that number. So why are they doing it every time? Can I refuse the test? Yes. Okay. Yes, okay. you can refuse the portable breathalyzer. They cannot suspend you for refusing the portable. They can't suspend your license for that. They can suspend your license for refusal of the actual Intox Lazar 9000 machine at the jail that takes the official breath test. So I've had clients get confused in the past and they take the PBT at the scene and then they get to the jail and are asked to do it again, another breath laser, and they're like, no, I already gave you one. I'm not doing another one. And then they're confused as to why Texas DPS calls that a refusal. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they consented to a portable breathalyzer, but weren't told this is not the real breathalyzer test. Does the blood test happen at the uh, uh, precinct house? At the downtown jail, the oh, Travis County jail okay. that's downtown, which is connected to our criminal courthouse, the Blackwell Thurman Criminal Justice Center. And so there is a blood draw room and it has a camera. If people are arrested in other jurisdictions, um, sometimes there's a camera in the room, sometimes there's not. Um, I think Georgetown, you know, at Williamson County Jail, which is located in Georgetown, Texas, they have one. Hayes is always a mess. <laughs> Hayes <laughs> built a new jail and it's already full, like as soon as they open the doors. Um, they're having, you know, as everyone is, trouble keeping law enforcement em- employees. Right, right. That trickles down to um, all kinds of problems. What are the penalties for a DUI first in Texas? So in Texas, um, if it's a class B, just a regular run of the mill DWI first without an open container, without a high breath or blood test, it's going to be up to six months in jail, but more likely it would be probation. And probation in Texas for any misdemeanor, class A or class B, is a maximum of two years. But more typically what we see for run-of-the-mill DWF first cases without any extreme factors um, is about 15 to 18 months of supervised probation. Texas does have a new law that allows a person um, to get deferred adjudication probation, which means that the probation ends in a dismissal, it can only be DWF first. It cannot be over 0.15. There cannot be an open container and there cannot be an accident. So it's got to be super plain, you know, regular first DWI. And um, it's kind of tricky because a lot of people get excited. Oh yes. Deferred on a DWI. Finally, we can get a dismissal after our probation on a DWI because before this law came about a couple of years ago, there was no option to plead to a DWI offense and end up without a conviction. But the problem is that with deferred adjudication, because you plead no contest, it is on the record. You can't ever get it completely removed. 
and the state can use that no contest plea to enhance you in the future. So you still would get a DWI second charged against you. With adjudication, would that be part of a plea bargain or how does that work? Yes. Uh, adjudication just means the end of the case uh, being disposed of in one way or another. It doesn't have to be a conviction or dismissal. It's just the case is over. So deferring that disposition, putting a person on probation, having them jump through hoops, be supervised for a term. If they're successful, the court dismisses and discharges the probation and therefore the offense. So they don't have a conviction on their record. So if they apply for a job and they're asked, have you ever been arrested? Yes, I have. I was arrested. I got deferred. It was dismissed. Okay. Have you ever okay. been convicted? No. Okay. So it's a little bit better. It's not great because it can never completely come off your record. It cannot be expunged or erased or destroyed. I see. It can only be sealed. And the only good that sealing a record does is that private people... Uh, private employers should not be able to access it. But governments, lending agencies, you know, gov uh, state schools, um, licensing agencies, if you want to be any kind of licensed professional or, you know, like even a, a hairstylist. Like a those, nurse or a doctor or something like that. Yeah. Um, so that's all going to show to those types of agencies, even if you get it sealed. How many of your cases go to court and how many... Uh go the plea bargain route? Well, that's an interesting question because that has changed throughout my career. When I first started practicing, more cases were tried, in my opinion, uh, just in general in Travis County. Hayes and Williamson, I can't um, speak to as much because I don't carry the near the caseload in those counties as I do in Travis ever since we've gotten our new DA and new county attorney a couple of years ago they're very open about being progressive and forward thinking and rehab focused and so the deals that we are getting are you know just really out of this world great in comparison to what we got 10 years ago. Oh, okay. So there's a lot of deals being made in Travis County now for with what we call upfronts. So like have the client do a 15 hour drug class and 20 hours of community service upfront without being supervised, without entering a plea at all. Oh. Case is just pending in court. Client has to come to court, you know, whenever the judge orders the client to come to court in attendance but they don't do anything in court but just show up to check the box yes i'm here and then they finish their upfronts and it gets dismissed and that's expungible okay i see which is great so you know i i am not having you know much to my chagrin not having as many trials since we came back fully in person after the pandemic right right um i do have several set this year and um you know i think at least one will go but i don't know if all five will go 
Well, when a person, let's use this as an, an example, just up front, they're doing their community service uh, and, and, and other things. What happens to their driver's license? So with the DWI case in Texas, um, I tell my clients it's it's a three-part situation that you have here. You're charged with your criminal offense, DWI. You have the ALR, Administrative License Revocation Hearing with Texas DPS, where they're trying to suspend your driver's license because they have convinced our legislature that having a license to drive is a privilege, not a right, and that if they demand, if they have probable cause to request that you give them a sample of your breath or blood, uh, which a lot of people think is a demand in the moment, and you refuse, that they should have the right to take your license for a suspended period of time. Refusal is 180 days suspension. And if you are nice to them and consent and then you fail, they'll punish you less on the driver's license suspension. They'll only give you 90 days of a suspension. But what I tell my clients or people who actually just ask me in passing about DWI cases is you're giving them evidence, you Mm -hmm. know? You're blowing over the legal limit. That's evidence that could take you down in your criminal case. And your criminal case is more important than your driver's license issue. Because with a driver's license suspension, we can get an occupational or an essential need license. And that's the third part of the situation. So the defense attorney, or in my practice, I handle all three of those things for the client. Some some lawyers will farm out the ALR hearing or the occupational work. I just find it uh, easier to make sure it all <laughs> gels together by doing it myself. But yeah, the ALR hearing is really kind of a dog and pony show, unfortunately, that DPS gets to be the star of every time because the burden of proof is probable cause, not beyond a reasonable doubt. They get to bring in hearsay and things like that that would not normally come into a criminal trial. Um, the judges hardly ever have criminal law practice experience. Um, they come, they're called ALJs, Administrative Law Judge. And they're judges that, they're lawyers that applied to be a judge with the State Office of Administrative Hearings. Marijuana and prescription meds, how hard is that to prove? A lot harder than alcohol. Right. Um, DPS has been testing alcohol for DWIs, and Austin PD has been testing alcohol for DWIs for a long time. The marijuana DWIs, you know, just kind of started happening in the last five to ten years, I'd say. Uh, Right. And the prescription drug DWIs, same thing. So... When uh, a blood test is done, obviously it has to be blood, not breath. Usually it gets sent out for alcohol to test for alcohol. They usually just do that as a matter of course. And then it has to come back and that takes a couple of months. (laughs) And then if it comes back zero, zero, and for instance, the officer found pills in the car or, you know, evidence of marijuana smoking or joint or roach or whatever, then they might send it out a second time. 
But um, a lot of times what happens in cases like that is the state may think this person looks super impaired on the video. Like, right, it, right, you know, okay. nobody would question that this person looks messed up on the video. So they try to work out the case without sending it for a second round of testing. I've got one in Williamson County now where my client had a couple of Xanax pills on her and they still haven't come back with a drug test. And they're not even telling me it's on the way it should be here soon. Like they're acting like they're never going to test it. And so we're coming up on our last, I was going to just see how many days it had been just out of curiosity because we're coming up on our last um, court setting before we have to set it for trial. We still don't have the blood result of, you know, supposed Xanax. So this case that I'm referring to started July 25th, 2022. Okay. Okay. We're almost at a year. Dang. Yeah. That's a long time. Um, Okay. Xanax. I mean, it's a prescription drug for anxiety. If you're prescribed to take Xanax on a daily basis, you you can still get a DWI because you're taking that prescription drug. And even if they found it in a prescription bottle, they can still uh, go after you, huh? Yes. Yeah. Yes, they can. Uh, they're going to try to point out impairment on the video, but they also, if they were, you know, really pursuing this case in our example here, would want that lab test to come back with a high number of, you know, nanograms per milliliters of blood, just because it's a high number of content in the blood of that drug doesn't mean that the person was impaired. Because if someone has taken a drug for years daily, Mm -hmm. then they're going to have built up a tolerance, a high tolerance. And so then you're going to have, as a defense attorney, you would want to bring in testimony probably from a medical professional who knows your client and, you know, can testify. um, No, this person takes, you know, two Xanax a day and I see her, you know, once a month she comes in, she's on it when she comes and sees me, she's not impaired. You know, I wouldn't give her that amount. You you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, you might not want your client to testify necessarily. Maybe you, maybe you would, but, um, usually we try to stay away from that. Last question. If I plan on pleading guilty, do I still need uh, for to a D, to a DWI? Do I still need an attorney? Yes, because plea offers vary so much by prosecutor, mm-hmm. right? A lot of it depends on the prosecutor's experience as well as the prosecutor's personality and you know, human nature is going to come into play no matter what. They may not like you as a person, you, Mm -hmm. you, the accused sitting there across from them being pro se. And just in general, like everyone in the court system, not so much defense attorneys, because we're not dealing with pro se's unless we're assigned to be standby counsel, which sometimes is done. Right. But usually it's the judge and the coordinator and the prosecutor that are having to wrangle with this pro se person. 
and they do not like it because right. it does not fit in their normal routine of doing things. It's slower for them. They have to explain things to the person. So they get frustrated. And, you know, one of the best techniques a defense attorney uses is to keep people laughing and entertained, like, you know, make them like you, make them like your client. And if you're coming in there saying, no, I'm not, you know, I'm refusing an appointed attorney and I'm refusing to hire an attorney, I'm doing this myself. Everybody's going to be like, oh rolling their eyes and sighing. Yeah. So how is that going to get you a good deal? I don't, I don't see it happening. Not to mention people don't know the abbreviations that we use in, in this business um, a lot of times. And so, you know, the prosecutor could be spitting out abbreviations and if you don't understand what they're saying, then you're not understanding the deal that you're making. So it's just, it's really tricky, especially with DWIs. Like if you're a layperson who's never looked at lab records, you're gonna it's gonna be like reading Chinese. Our thanks to attorney Leslie Boykin in Austin, Texas, for being our guest on Ask a Lawyer with Steve Sleeper. Her phone number is five one two nine one two nine nine seven seven, and her website is lesliboykinlaw.com. dot com.